Hello and welcome to ATN World News. I'm Leah and it's great to be with you, the viewers all around the world. Today I'm very happy and blessed to have with me Brander McDonald. And as you well know, um, we're putting together a Larry Norman special. Uh, Brander's part of that special. Brander got to uh, live with Larry for a year, uh, helped him out, they were friends. And one of the most poignant things I can say is that uh, Brander sent me an email and he said, well, he said, my relationship with Larry was so sacred uh, that I didn't even tell people around me uh, who he was or about it because he said uh, to the world, he was a legend, but to me, he was my brother. Uh, Brander works with indigenous people and uh, he took literally took the relationship as sacred. With that, I'm going to throw it to you, uh, Brander. Go ahead and share it with our audience. Thanks, Leah. Um, it's it's an intimidating experience to uh, share like this, but I, I, I thought it would be important. Uh, I met Larry uh, personally in 1988. Uh, I had shaken his hand a couple of times when I was uh, younger. Um, but I, I got to know uh, Charles, his younger brother, quite well, first, firstly. And then through the years of uh, visiting them uh, over the course of, I don't know, five years, um, it became family. I met, met, met the parents, met the, a couple of the siblings. Um, and then um, Larry had had a heart attack. And uh, he actually called me all the way from Sweden. I was living in the Vancouver area, British Columbia, Canada. And um, he said, would you be willing to come and hang out with me for however long? And I said, sure. So um, jumped on a plane and went down to Studio City and, and just hung out for uh, uh, probably three or four months uh, doing all kinds of little projects and just making sure he was okay. Um, he had to be on certain medication and take care of a diet and see doctors and all kinds of little things. So I was, uh, I was the sidekick for a few months. I rode shotgun. Um, and then, um, we did a small tour. Uh, I opened for Larry in Canada for about four or five shows, uh, traveled by road and just became really good friends. Um, and then moved back into full time for that one year, I think it was 1993. Uh, 92, 93, I believe it was, um, right in in uh, Studio City there. So um, that was that was my um, my uh, spending time with Larry, and uh, well, all kinds of funny anecdotal stuff along the way. And he learned about my family. I learned about his family. Um, learned about his ministry. We talked about art, history, music, um, movies. Um, those kinds of things. We we also spent time in different coffee shops, um, meeting various um, famous people, celebs. Sometimes just talking, sometimes chatting about serious issues of life, and or sharing his music, um, that kind of thing. And uh, I think when the uh, LA earthquake hit, uh, he was actually out of town for about a week, and uh, and then when he came back, he had decided, well. I think I'm going to be moving out of LA. So that was sort of the end of the, 
that particular time. By the time I, I moved away, it would have been almost a full year that I'd been there uh, living and working with him. So it was, it was a life-changing experience. Um, learned all about Hollywood, learned about the business, learned about, you know, that kind of lifestyle. I come from a small community. I think my community of origin, there was a hundred people in my community in a small native fishing village in northern Manitoba. And, uh, you know, I graduated from school. There was only 200 people in a small town. So I, I come from a small town area. And uh, he was very much interested in my native uh, roots. And, and um, we explored some of his own native roots. And so there were some suggestions that that would happen. So it was kind of like meeting a long lost cousin. Um, and then um, he asked me to come down for the 2000 Creation Fest uh, gig at the Gorge at, um, in Washington State. And uh, that was really the only time I ever played with Larry. Um, he was always suggesting that I, you know, give him some of my music, but I was very intimidated by the industry. I'm, um, I'm just such a small town guy. I'm just like, wow, this is kind of overwhelming. But um, that was a nice gesture. And so I got a chance to share a stage with him finally on, in the year 2000. And uh, and then we stayed in touch. His, his health was deteriorating at that time. And, um, and uh, I, I took a final trip down there um, probably about a year and a half before he passed away. And um, kissed me on the cheek, says, I love you, brother. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was, he was family. He was, he was like one of my, uh, one of my siblings, you know. Um, and that, that was my, uh, that was my relationship with Larry. And to this day, I try to keep in touch with Charles as best I can. And, and um, but it's, uh, the, the Larry memory is, is very dear, and uh, I get kind of choked up talking about it, but that's my experience. I, c I can understand that. Um, most of the people like that we both know, like his backup band, um, will say that, well, the Larry I knew yeah. <laughs> it was such a, you know, generous guy. He was a sweetheart yeah. of a guy, and these are people who travel with him for you know, a few years doing his gigs, uh, they at, at many times just lived with him as they were creating songs going into the studio. And uh, they knew him best, who was with him most. And they yeah. said he was a real, you know, uh, sweetheart of a guy. Generous, yeah. kind, a lot of fun. I know you were telling me that you guys used to do laundry at 3 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> you know, and, and fight over homemade salsa and chips and oh, yeah, watch yeah. an old black and white movie, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's one one time, I think it was uh, probably 3 in the morning. We were so tired. Uh, we just started, we were just giddy because we had worked a long day. It was hot. It was like August. And um, we were watching uh, Laurel and Hardy. Uh, and just that was uh, it was just crazy, you know that kind of thing. Or um, yeah, just silly stuff. Always trying to find the best pun in a situation. Um, yeah, he was a master of puns. Yeah, very very funny guy. Yeah. Yes, he he wrote uh, very like uh, hitting the nail on the head type lyrics, you know. Yeah. But. Um, you know, um, Brander, I appreciate you just taking a few minutes out of your life. 
I, I told most people, look, if you can do at least five minutes on your recollection, I'd appreciate it. But, uh, you know, and this is from people who really lived with him, who knew mm -hmm. him like uh, you did. And um, I do appreciate you taking the time to come on and uh, talk about the Larry you knew, uh, your brother, and your sacred relationship. And uh, Brander, um, people look behind him. This is a, an artwork that he did. He does art. Uh, he does all kinds of um, things now, music. Uh, he helped the indigenous people in his line of work for years. And uh, he's now working on his creative talents. And uh, he has a website. Uh, you can look him up under Brander McDonald and you can find out a little bit more. Brander, thank you so much for coming on board and sharing your thoughts. I appreciate the opportunity. It's, yeah. it's been very healing. Thank you. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Hey, this is Scott Wesley Brown, Larry Norman. Wow, where do I begin? <laughs> I think I first met Larry, I guess it was around the winter of 1975. I was living in Minneapolis, St. Paul area doing a youth ministry up there. And I had formerly been in Wheaton, Illinois and got to know a good friend of mine, Steve Camp, who was another Christian artist. And when I found out Larry Norman was coming to the Twin Cities to do a concert, I called Steve up and I said, "Hey, buddy, you got to come come up to this concert because he was a he was a Larry Norman freak. He just loved Larry Norman, and so Steve did. He bought a ticket, flew up from Chicago to Minneapolis, and we went to this Larry Norman concert. And I mean, it was packed out. And how brilliant he was. I mean, his songs were so percept perceptive into the culture and to what was going on in the world. And it just, man, it just hit us right here. And, and so we had our tapes and albums with us and we, we wanted to get backstage to, to meet him after it was over and to give this stuff to him. And when it, when it ended, we just flew, uh, up on the stage through the curtain into the back area there. And I think Norman thought we were probably going to attack him or something because he had this really weird look on his face and we said no we just want to share our music with you and we started telling him about what we did and what we wanted to do our aspirations and and so he was talking to us and it was great i couldn't believe that he was so friendly and so cordial to us and he said, hey, I'll tell you what, guys, why don't we continue this conversation? Uh, I need a ride home to my wife's parents' house because they lived in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So we we had the privilege of driving Larry and Pam, his wife at the time, uh, to her parents' house there. And we talked the whole way and then even maybe an hour or so in the driveway. And then he said, well, listen, I got to get to bed. I've got a busy schedule ahead, but how about if you guys just come on out to L.A., come out to Hollywood, and, and I'll work with you in and, and your music and, and kind of coach you. So we did that. About a month or so later, we both flew out to L.A., first time out there in my life. Crazy place, but I live here now. Uh, and so we worked with Larry every day. He would coach us, and, and it continued on for a couple of years where he told us that every time we do a concert, he'd say, mail me a tape. 
Mail a tape of your concert to me, and I'll go through it and criticize, uh, critique it. Uh, well, it was criticism. I tell you what, sometimes it was really hard to take, and uh, but it was good for me. At the same time, he had such wisdom, and he really taught me how to do a concert. I would, I would say no one else taught me more than Norman on how to do a concert, and I still incorporate many of the techniques that he, he showed me in those early days into my concerts today. And it's been wonderful getting to know him. We met a lot of people through him, Randy Stonehill, Pat Boone, many other artists. Larry's trying to start a label called Solid Rock. I ended up not recording with that label, but a couple of others. But we kept in touch all throughout the years. And I really have to say that as I look back, um, I have to say hats off to Larry Norman. I mean, he paved the way for so many of us. He really started it. And I, I hope people will remember his name and remember his music because he was so profound. He had such great perception into the culture and into what was going on and what God was doing. And as ministers, we want to have that edge as we write songs and we, as we communicate the gospel through, through Jesus music to people. So thank you, Larry Norman. I, I look forward to that day when we're all in heaven and glory together and uh, we'll get to hear your songs again, uh, sung live by the master himself. So, uh, thanks for listening and God bless Larry Norman. Hi, my name is Herbie Manapudi, and I, man, I've been asked to talk about Larry. What can I say about the man? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I met Larry back, oh, around the end of 93, 94. Uh, it was that winter of, I think, maybe around January, I would say, of 94. Larry came out to do a concert, and at that time, I was living in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, I knew the promoter that uh, was doing the concert, and he asked me to come out and uh, see the concert and meet Larry. And uh, in all honesty, I, you know, I knew who Larry was, but wasn't th that much of a fan of his. Uh, I, I knew a handful of his tunes, but that was about it. But uh, at the last minute, I decided I was going to go ahead and go to the concert. And, uh, you know, uh, I got to go backstage and I got to meet Larry and, you know, shook his hand and all that. And, uh, we had, it was just very small talk. It lasted for about five minutes and I decided to go back out and sit in the audience and, and watch Larry do his concert. And I tell you what, uh, he did his concert and it was probably one of the best concerts I've ever been to. The man, had such a unique way of presenting the gospel. At least I thought he did because his, his sense of humor, uh, the songs, uh, you know, I, I was really listening to the lyrics and was just really, you know, amazed at how awesome those lyrics were. Even to this day, those lyrics are very relevant. Um, but his way of, of presenting the gospel and sharing with the audience. Uh, it was a very intimate concert because it was just him and this guitar and a piano and, you know, the, and the audience out there. And uh, just 
his sense of humor is, was also what really got me. It just, I mean, I was rolling a couple times. I was just laughing so hard. I was rolling on the floor just about, you know, and there was one point where somebody yelled out, Hey, Larry. And he named out, you know, do this song. And Larry looked rather confused and puzzled and he goes, did, did I write that? <laughs> he had to have been there just to see the way that that was presented. I, it, I just thought it was funny. It was, oh, guys, the, the audience was just rolling. But the concert was great, had a good time. And at the end of the concert, uh, I got up and I went up to CJ, who was the promoter, and said, hey, you know, uh, if he needs a place to stay somewhere, you know, my house is open. I've got a big house here, and he's more than welcome to stay. And he said, ah, don't worry about it. You know, we got it covered, but appreciate the offer. So that was it. I left, uh, went home for the day. And I think uh, the following day, or maybe the day after the concert, Larry was still in town. I get a phone call from the promoter, and he said, hey, is there any way that that offer you gave, is that still good? I said, sure. You know, he can stay with me anytime. I don't have a problem with that. He says, do me a favor. Could you pick him up at the at the uh, hotel and then, you know, take him to your house? I said, I'll do that. Um, don't know the exact reason why he ended up staying for such a long period in Memphis. I, there was an, I know there was an earthquake in L.A. And I don't know if there was some damage to his place or whatever the case may be. But I think his brother had asked me if he could stay in Memphis a little longer until things settle down here and come on back. So Larry, I uh, pick him up and tell you what, uh, we hit it off right away. Uh, very personable individual. We talked for hours, literally. I mean, as soon as he got in the car, I felt like I had known him for a long time. We hit it off that, that good. Uh, we talked about all kinds of stuff. It was great. Uh, we went out to dinner that night with a whole bunch of friends. And uh, also, I was playing in a band in Memphis at that time, and all those guys went, and you know, Larry uh, just hit it off with everybody. It was it was a really fantastic time that that particular evening. Well, the whole time while Larry was there, um, you know, just, we were, I was playing in a band. He would come out and watch us play, and he sang with us a couple times, and that was a lot of fun. And all of a sudden, one day, he goes, Herb, I'm going to record an album here. He goes, or I want to do some recording. Would you guys be interested in recording with me? And I'm like, yeah. You know, and I was I was super excited that, that he asked me that. And so uh, we found a studio uh, to do it, to do the recordings in. And uh, literally, uh, the songs that we did, uh, this was for the album uh, A Moment in Time, and all those songs that are on there are very rough. Uh, they were basically jams, is what they were, and Larry wrote a lot of the lyrics right there on the spot, and it was just, it was a lot of fun doing it. Uh, you know, he never held us back from being able to express ourselves, and, you know, I, other than there were times where he would be, we'd be playing, and then he would yell something through the microphone in our in our headphones, going, "Okay, now go to core G, and here go to D, uh, go back to G, you know that type of thing." That <laughs> was pretty bizarre, but uh, all in all, it uh, the project was a lot of fun. It was very very spontaneous. Uh, you know, uh, 
we, we had no clue what we were going to be doing. We just went and did it. And in the, mean, and the whole time that we were there, Larry was so encouraging to us as musicians and as a band. Uh, you know, it, it just, uh, especially for me, because I was, I was very insecure with a lot of times with my guitar playing. You know, am I good enough for this? I mean, even if, even before Larry came, I was always, you know, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. Am I good enough to be able to do this? And then Larry one day took me off the side in one of the recording rooms and had a little heart-to-heart -heart talk with me. He said, look, you know, you're, you're great. You don't have to worry about it. He says, if I didn't like what you were doing, you wouldn't be on this project. And, uh, you know, shared with me for about five, ten minutes. But it was very encouraging. And it was very, he did it in a very, uh, very loving way. And uh, that has always stuck with me, yeah, to, even to this day. It's, it, uh, it was a huge uh, booster for, for me personally. And I've always appreciated that. Um, and as time went on, uh, Larry stayed with me for, I don't know, about a month or so. I, I, gosh, I can't even remember how long it was that he was with me. But while he was here, uh, staying with us, he had, he had received, uh, I guess, a minor heart attack or something. And what it was is Larry decided to show my daughter how to do a cartwheel. And we're all like, no, Larry, you can't be doing that. And Larry said, no, 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 I, I can do this. Move the furniture out of the living room. <laughs> so we did. We pulled all the furniture out of the living room. And Larry does this massive cartwheel. And as soon as he landed, he grabbed his chest. And I could tell there was something wrong. And he fell to the ground. And he turned. Uh, Larry's kind of a, a pale guy anyway. But he turned really white at that point. And, oh, man, right away we... Uh, you know, wanted to go to ER, and he's like, "No, no, don't, I don't want. I don't need to go to ER." But that whole evening, he kept clutching his chest, and I knew that wasn't good. Uh, the following day, we all went to church. He still didn't want to go to the hospital, and he still the whole time he was grabbing his chest. And finally, at the end of the service, he decided that, "Yeah, maybe I do need to go to ER." So he took him to the hospital. He was in there for uh, I want to say about a week or so, uh, maybe less, uh, and he came home, he was feeling better, and he decided, uh, or we had to go to a pharmacy to pick up some meds for him, and when he was in there, the pharmacist behind the counter, she saw Larry walk in, and, you know, sweet little southern lady, she goes, hey, y'all, you're all not from around here, are you? <laughs> Larry goes, no, I'm not. And she goes, you look like one of them kind of musicians. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I'm a musician. He starts talking to her a little bit about his music. As a matter of fact, he had me go to the car and pull out a bunch of his CDs to give to her. So I did all that. But by the time I got back from the car in the pharmacy, this woman was pretty much spilling her guts to Larry about some issues that were going on in her house. And she was in tears. And Larry was praying with her. I I was just floored by that. It was just amazing that here this woman doesn't know who Larry is. And next thing I know, she's there bearing her soul. And, uh, you know, she was very thankful that he came in to buy his stuff there. And it was just, it was amazing to see that. It really was. 
uh, he ministered to her, you know, and uh, she gave him a big hug, and we drove off, you know, and uh, I'll never forget that. It was just truly amazing. Oh, my gosh, I seem that I'm already going over my time. Um, I wish I could share a little bit more, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, any case, uh, those are some of my recollections of Larry. Uh, I love the man. You know, he was a great guy. He was, you know, he was very kind to me every time that we were together. And I'll never forget that. And uh, just thank God that uh, I got to meet him and, and do some really cool things with him. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Hi, this is Chuck Gerard with some reflections on Larry Norman. When I first became a Christian in 1970, I remember being uh, maybe in the office at Calvary Chapel and somebody there had a copy of what I believe was his first album, Upon This Rock, with this guy with white hair flying through the air in the clouds uh, like he was in the rapture. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I couldn't wait to hear it. I don't remember how long it took me to, to finally hear the album, but... Uh, when I did, I instantly loved the music, the, the production style, his voice, everything was just great. It was my cup of tea. And over the years, Larry has remained one of my top three favorite Christian artists. Uh, I, was, I had, uh, was living in a little apartment in Costa Mesa, and uh, he called Massive. He and his wife Pam could come down and visit. So they spent the evening, and I think we had some dinner and had a chat. And at the end of it, he said, uh, well, sometime, you know, come up to my studios or wherever and uh, let's do something together. And I said, yes, but uh, it never materialized and we never wound up doing that. Um, what I appreciated about Larry the most was the, the just the honesty of his lyrics. He wasn't writing for the church. He was writing for the, the unsaved. He wrote very controversial, but very, very cool lyrics for the unsaved. You know, sipping whiskey from a paper cup and gonorrhea on Valentine's Day. Why don't you look into Jesus? And uh, just so many great songs on all of his albums. So I've always appreciated him very much musically. Uh, you know, we all heard stories and all the different things. And he was very eccentric and different, very odd person. But... Uh, left quite a legacy of great music and uh, always a ministry guy. The times I saw him, I always remember that he gave an evangelistic appeal and uh, invited people to come to the front. Maybe he didn't, I don't remember if he actually had altar calls or not, but uh, he would always preach the gospel and that's one of the other things that I very much appreciated about him.
So that's about it over the years. Uh, you know, when he, when he died, it was tragic for all of us and uh, at such a young age. And I realized at that time that a great talent had been lost to the world and to the church. Um, kind of a little funny side story. Uh, I have a good friend that knew him pretty well. And I was up in Salem where he lived. And um, this friend of mine, his name is Tim Moon. He said, let's go visit Larry's grave. So we went over to the mortuary where, or whatever, the graveyard where Larry's grave was. And we looked at his grave. And on it, next to his grave was a mailbox. Okay. I thought only Larry Norman would have a mailbox by his grave. We found out later that I guess the family would put some of his CDs in that mailbox and people would come and they get a free CD and they could leave a note for Larry, or really for the family because, you know, we don't give notes to the dead. But uh, um, definitely a controversial character, a great talent, and um, I always appreciated him and wish he was here now uh, to see where he would have gone as an artist uh, because he was always growing. So hats off to Larry as the old song goes and uh, we'll see him again in heaven someday. I first recall hearing about Larry Norman from my mentor, Phil Kagi, one of the pioneers of Christian rock, along with Randy Stonehill. Sometimes we played together and they'd mentioned stories about Larry. And I think one of the first recordings I've ever heard of Larry Norman was hearing him singing Santa Claus is coming. The kids are getting ready, getting greedy. Uh, it's Christmas time. And uh, it was like, they know it's in the store because they've seen it on TV. It's Christmas time. So I, I remember thinking, wow, somebody singing about the truth that um, would probably get them, you know, rejected out of most churches at the time. I think sometime after I broke free from my contract with Atlantic Records, I was looking at uh, put my first Christian band together. And I recall a number of the bandmates were really into Larry Norman and I was listening to the song, which we'd all been ready, you know, it was singing like... Um, Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled to the floor. I wish we'd all been ratty. Children died, the days grew cold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ratty, and there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and we've, you've been left behind. And wow, you know, that song holds up today. I mean, considering all that's happening and unfolding on the world stage, it's as powerful now as it was when it was first released. I think it was back in like. 1969. So um, I had all these friends that kept telling me they wanted me to meet Larry, that we, you know, would have a lot in common. And I, I think songwriters, we do. If Larry was still alive today, I think he'd rather be keen on some of the songs I've done, like Nanobots and Up to Something. Uh, after all, we're exposed, you know, we are to expose evil. And, and we've got to help protect the children in this world. Um, in fact, it tells us, like Ephesians 5.11, uh, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but re rather reprove them, which means, you know, expose them, because we're supposed to trust the Lord. Uh, it, the battle belongs to him, and it's a spiritual battle that we're all in now. Um, 
Otherwise, you know, you leave, are we going to leave a legacy if, if Christ uh, doesn't return in our lifetime, which I think is a very strong possibility? Otherwise, we're leaving um, a world of um, enslaved by psychopathic tyrants, tyrants, and um, um, the whole that Nephilim agenda. So, you know, it's like giving evildoers permission to carry on destroying our world. Instead of you know seeing us raise up a, a church filled with freedom lovers and uh, the way we're supposed to be doing it, I recall one of my pastors back in the eighties. I'd worked with Larry on some concert dates, and I recall him telling me stories. Oh, they took up a special offering because Larry'd been on the road for ages and ministering nonstop, and they got a collection together to send them home for a few days to be with his family, so give them a needed rest. On, um, at that time, I remember he was trying to put some concert dates together with me and Larry, which I was looking keen to do. It just didn't happen. So it was around like maybe um, 2008, I think it was, someone on Larry's team contacted me and they were making arrangements to fly me up to minister to Larry. I, if I recall correctly, they were, they'd heard me teaching and preaching on epigenetics on divine healing. I think they met some folks that I administered to at some meetings and they were the Lord Jesus had healed them and restored them. All praise and glory to be to, to Christ our Lord. But I think Larry at the time was, uh, was living in Canada. He was feeling really poorly. And by the time I was able to get up there and uh, to minister to him, he'd already passed on the glory. Um, so let's consider this. You know, Larry Norman was I think he greatly influenced Christian music the way some of the great evangelists and pastors of the past, like John Wesley, influenced the way we do church today. Mind you, um, it's still you know a remnant that probably understands this, but I'm not sure if it was Martin Luther that said it first, but I think Larry's song, you know, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music, um, was a very important song for all those, especially all those religious spirits others that have a monopoly game going in the Christian music industry where they try to dictate just like the, uh, the world tries to dictate and censors whatever they think you don't they don't want you to hear um, so there's certainly like at the time there was um, a lot of rumors flying about it in the later years indicating Larry made mistakes in his career made mistakes in his life and well what ministry that's been successful hasn't had the kingdom of darkness? start a, a propaganda campaign, uh, a war against them. Because after all, he was, he was an angel, he was a man. And nobody gets into heaven except those who surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and Nazareth, Messiah, Yeshua. Now, Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes into heaven except through him. So, um, and think about that. Luke 6.26 says, Well unto you, when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers the false prophets. Um, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, the use edifying, that ministers grace to the hearers. So when you talk, it's not saying anything bad, especially about someone that can't defend themselves anymore, not in this dimension anyways. Um, be a blessing to all that you engage. But yeah, we, we do need to expose the evildoers. And um, I think probably we're seeing some of the best acting that we've ever seen anybody do on the world stage today. 
I'm guessing they don't even understand that they're playing a role in fulfilling the end time prophecies. And I think, again, you know, I wish we'd all been ready. I wish you'd all be ready right now. Um, Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us denying ungodliness and really lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world because we're looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So um, we've all been a, a wee bit peculiar at times. I pray this encourages you and uh, keep listening to Larry Norman's songs. They're good. God bless. See you here, there, in the air. Hello and welcome to ATN World News. It's so great to be with you, the viewers all around the world. Today, we are with Ken Tucker, a.k.a. Stormy Blue, who was the lead backup guitarist for Larry Norman. Hey, Ken. Hey, Leah. How are you? Uh, you know, hanging in there. It's really great to have you with us today. Ken is part of our, of course, Larry Norman special. Uh, you and Larry were pretty tight. You told me some amazing stories. There's, there's just so much. I mean, I could have listened for hours uh, to what he was saying about Larry, how he would be working with the band and after concerts would would uh, buy breakfast and get hotel rooms for people who had a long drive back and couldn't make it. And, you know, just pick one of the things and give us some insight on Larry. And he said, well, I'd like you to be my guitar player. And he told me it's because he thought I played a lot like John Lynn, his original guitar player, in which I told him afterwards that I learned a lot of uh, my um, my uh, playing style off, you know, his albums. I learned his songs, and I copied John's uh, lead runs and chord progressions as closely as I could, and. Um, so he uh, just basically offered me a, a chance to be in his band. In turn, I played a lot of shows with him over about three years. Herbie Manapudi and I did, and Lisa Warehouser did too. She was uh, she came along a lot. I thought it was amazing that he said, "I can't believe it." But I've got another lead guitar player that sounds just like the first one, and he didn't know that you had been studying. Uh, his first uh, lead guitarist style for quite some time to nail it. 
Well, actually, I would. Yeah, I mean, I really thought he had. He was. Uh, he was. Uh, honestly, his albums, especially the uh, the trilogy uh, upon this rock, only visiting this planet and in another land. Those are the standard by which everybody else is measured, as far as I can concern. And nobody's come close. Uh, those albums are masterpieces. And um, I learned almost all of his songs over the years as a young fan trying to learn how to play. And I uh, copied them as close as I could. I, uh, I fell short quite often, but I got as close as I could. But in some instances, I, I got it right. And the, the more I played and the better I understood the instrument, uh, the more close I could get. And pretty soon, you know, I was, I was getting really close. Now, I don't think I'm anywhere near what John Lynn was, because John Lynn was incredible and very under appreciated i would say as far you know he's one of the great unknowns in uh guitar playing uh but um i i tried to to get as close as i could and uh, so in 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 that respect since i try to play the songs as close as i could i played like john lynn in a lot of a lot of uh, cases and even my uh my uh, freeform lead playing was influenced a lot, like by John Lynn. So, let me um, ask you something. Uh, we've talked, and you told me so many things that Larry taught you mm -hmm. about music, the band, mm -hmm. uh, life in general, encouraging mm -hmm. you to sing, and things like mm -hmm. that. Share some of that uh, Larry Norman wisdom. Some things he told you. That we all well, benefit from. Well, this is when I was, um, I've been, I'm an, I was an experienced songwriter at the time, but I always wanted to improve. And, uh, and he would often, when we were on, you know, in a hotel or something, um, I'd get a call about midnight and, uh, he would, uh, wake me up. And of course, you know, I, I just, I didn't mind. And I said, hey, Kenny, come on down to the hotel room and let's listen to your CD and let's go through it. And so I would oblige him. And uh, he would put on, he put my CD on. This happens a few times. And uh, he would go through the first song in about 10 seconds. He would push skip, or he'd say yes or no and push skip. Next one, 10 seconds, yes or no, push skip, and it's death of the whole album. And I, I asked him, why don't you listen to the whole song? And he was, uh, his response was, record labels are not going to listen to any more than 10 seconds. And if you don't get their attention in 10 seconds, they don't even want to, they don't even think about it. It's, they, don't, they don't want it. And uh, so I, I, sat down afterwards and we we're talking about songwriting and and uh, I asked him what the secret to writing 
like great lyrics was what's the secret to writing great lyrics and he said well there's several things you got to remember first of all uh you got to remember you're not writing a book you're writing a song and if the lyrics take up more than one side of eight by ten notebook paper it's too long and um Next thing he said was, write a song that a third grader can understand, but an adult can appreciate artistically. And, um, of course, he said, don't go down rabbit holes. Um, you know, economize your words. And the bigger thing, one of the bigger things was, don't underestimate the power of small, everyday words. Because a lot of songwriters try to put in words that make them sound intellectual or, or uh, clever. And really what they do is they sound arrogant. If you just write a song that tells a simple story with a simple message, and you you got between two, two and a half and four minutes to tell an entire story that has a beginning, middle, and end. And, you know, so really economize your words and, one thing he told me that really made me think, because I'm a Beatles fan, he goes, the Beatles learned how to write a hit song that's less than three minutes. They can write a song that takes two minutes and 50 seconds and make it a hit. So he goes, you need to take notes on that. Those are some insights that I know that he gave a lot of people he mentored. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he would individualize it according to the you know person, the artist, and I've had many artists say to me, "Hey, I'm still doing what Larry taught me from back in oh, the yeah. day." You know, I'm still. In fact, in fact, I I uh, share that with young artists myself, and uh, I I guarantee you, I'm not the only one he mentored in that fashion. But I feel very honored and privileged to have had that opportunity. Uh, I don't think I would be near the songwriter or recording artist that I am if I had never had that opportunity to be around Larry and on stage with him and in the studio with him. In closing, I'd like to ask you, what is the thing you'll remember the most You know, from Larry? Larry, by what will you remember him? What I'll remember most about from Larry is that he loved God. He and he wanted to serve God. He wanted to, to introduce everybody to Jesus, and he was a very loving, gentle, kind human being. And and he he understood. He was flawed, and he also understood that he was redeemed. And and uh, he taught me that everybody that was created, yeah, God created everybody, and everybody deserves dignity and deserves to be loved. That's a wonderful thing to be remembered by. Yep. I know that's the Larry you knew. Because you yeah. said the Larry you knew was a swell guy. Because I think, honestly, he would rather be remembered for his faith and his love 
more than his music. His music, to him, his music was just a tool to to communicate that. I I can I can um, believe that. I know he really wanted to reach people, mm-hmm. and in any special done about him, that's his biggest hopes now in heaven is mm-hmm. connect connect people with Jesus. I mm-hmm. want to meet them here in heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, and so may this uh, special do that. Yeah, oh, and, a song. He had a song called "I Hope I See You in Heaven." Yes, Amen. Listen, yep. Ken, thank you for coming on the record and speaking mm-hmm. some of your memories today. We appreciate it. God bless you, brother. You too. My pleasure. God bless. Hi there, this is Bruce Carroll coming at you from my home office here in Memphis, Tennessee. And just going to say a quick few words about Larry Norman. I did, uh, I think, three dates with him in Europe, uh, most specifically Germany. And spent a little bit of time with him when I was over there. And I have to tell you, he was one of the most winsome, kind, generous very available uh, fellows, and uh, I always thought he was a great guy. Now, I have heard over the years that he was difficult to work with, and and he was a little bit moody, but you know what? I've been the same way. If you caught me on a bad day uh, out on the road after a string of a couple of weeks worth of dates, and tired and homesick, uh, and maybe dealing with a, with a cold or a bad back from sleeping in a, in a bad bed in a hotel. You get my point. We're all uh, clay pots and we're all fallible. We try to do the best that we can uh, at all times and sometimes we just, we just fall short. So I just wanted to jump on here and let uh, all of you know that in my opinion, Larry was a fine man, great singer-songwriter, very valuable to the kingdom of God, and I know he impacted a lot of lives. And uh, we will have that affirmed when we're with him in heaven. So, hey, God bless all of you. I hope you're doing great. And thanks for listening to me. Talk to you soon. God bless you all. Bye-bye.
Hi, my name is Bryn Howarth and I'm really happy to be able to talk about Larry Norman because my wife and I are still followers of Jesus due to a concert he did at the Royal Albert Hall back in May 1975. We had met Jesus for the first time in a tent meeting in the corner of this little field uh, the year before and had been attending a local church that had been involved in the mission, but we were struggling. We had been living a rock and roll lifestyle for years and were finding the whole church thing very difficult. And I started to think, we can't do this. And we were drifting back into darkness and unbelief. Garth Hewitt, who was a friend and a mentor at that time, recommended us to go and see this guy, Larry Norman, when he was in town. But I was very reluctant. I didn't know his music. But Garth persuaded us, bless him, and he, in fact, he took us there. Anyway, we loved it. Uh, Liberation Suite, uh, Parchment, an English band, uh, were supporting him. And then Larry came on with his blonde hair and his leather jacket, his Spanish guitar. Great singing, great songs, good chat, you know, good stories, funny, but always focused and pointing Jesus and uh, I think the upshot really of that is we came out and we thought well if he can follow Jesus and be himself then so can we and we never look back. I met him in person in the early 80s when he was distributing my first gospel album The Gap and we got on really well and then uh, I toured with him I had my band and he was on he was top of the bill and uh, he and uh, we got again you know we got on really well and i always thanked him every time i saw him for that that night in royal Albert hall and he always loved to hear that story um he he continued to be a great encouragement to us both and each time we met you know um i loved him he was a brave man human but full of jesus so thank you for asking me to speak about him and thank you, Larry, for being yourself in Christ. God bless you. Hello and welcome to our Larry Norman special. I'm Leah Tillock from ATM World News, and there was a, quite an interest in somebody doing a positive Larry Norman special. Uh, I was contacted by some of the backup band members uh, that worked with Larry, and it just started a thing. You know, um, I started talking to the CCM artists I knew who had done gigs with him, and then uh, some of the band got a hold of people who he mentored and people that lived with him and knew him. And uh, what started all this was the elephant in the room topic. You know, after Larry died, somebody put out what many consider a hit piece on him. And I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to get into it because that's what you do not do in professional media. You know, you don't, especially Christian professional media you just don't take a brother down you don't go out into 
you, I mean, you just don't do that, especially after they die and they're not here to defend themselves. So, um, a lot of people were angry. A lot who had seen him and they kept saying, that's not the Larry I knew. And then they wanted to tell me the stories of their life with Larry. Um, what went on between them? They wanted to say a lot. They keep saying, this is the Larry I knew. And so thus our title of the special, the Larry Norman I knew. Um, because I'm not going to get into this and talk about it, I want you to read for yourself. There is a website that has been created by people who did deep investigations to prove a lot of the stuff that was said about him was indeed wrong. Larry kept meticulous records. He kept audio uh, tapes. He kept uh, correspondence. Uh, and everything was dated. He did not take advantage of people with his uh, record label. There are dates to prove that he did it in a timely fashion. There are receipts that the authors of this website called Failed Angle uh, can show you that they hold in their hands. They went to his house and poured over it for days and it got a hold and went through everything. The audios, the receipts, even correspondence. And the correspondence that they read showed that he didn't date somebody while they were still married and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, it, it shows it in the correspondence. I mean, I can't, I, I can't believe I have to say this, but this is some of the slander uh, that came against him. And so I just think you owe it to yourself to click the link. It's going to be in the description box of the video. Failed angle, click it and read it for yourself. It's a rare thing in life when some bad things that have been said about somebody can be corrected and the truth be told and there be a balance. Now, I don't want you to go to, and I'm not even going to say the name or the video or the people, I don't want you to go to them and say or do anything, you know, leave any mean comments. That's just not the way that we operate. We wish them the love of Jesus. That's what Larry wanted. More than anything in his life, he was about connecting people to Jesus. And his music, he felt, was a transportation, a tool for that. That's what most around him have told me habitually, that he was really about just you know, connecting people to Jesus. A couple of things that stood out to me that I thought I'd mention is um, that may not be, you know, in the special. One of the guys uh, that played with him, he said uh, on one of his appointments in the hospital, he came back in the car with three of the guys from the band, or I think it was three, and uh he was saying how well he was going home to meet Jesus, that, you know, he really didn't have too much longer. And the guy said, oh, man, he said, we guys, we started crying like little girls. We were going, no, man, no, no, Larry, don't say that. Because Larry was going on and on about how excited he was that he was going to meet Jesus. 
I mean, he was tripping the light fantastic. He was going, la, 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 I'm going to see Jesus. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. And then, then the other guys in the car were going, oh, no, man, no. Oh, you know, they were crying, poor guys, really hard. But, you know, Larry was rejoicing because he believed what he preached. And he was an extraordinarily good songwriter. He hit the nail on the head in a creative way where you really couldn't come against it. It was said so profoundly. He had an insight. I like this one thing that happened. I call this an extraordinary big evangelical boom for God. Because when does this ever happen? You know, it's rare. So Larry writes this song for Janis Joplin because he was a pre-act back in the day. And uh, I think maybe it was before he converted and did just all Christian. I'm not sure. But uh, Janis would come out to watch him and she wouldn't other acts. And he said he'd always see her with her paper cup pouring whiskey in it until she got blitzed and went on on stage and did a concert being that drunk. He really didn't know how she pulled it off, but she would pull it off. Uh, and uh, he wrote this song, hoping to reach her. He, he mentioned all the things that people look to, to try to get through life, to use as coping mechanisms and why they fail, and why they should look into Jesus. During that generation, the teenagers were seekers back then, man. I'm serious. They were looking for God, but a lot of them were looking in all the wrong places. They were looking at Eastern uh, philosophy. They were looking at, um, I don't know, all kinds of things, like this is the way, that is the way. They were even looking into music as being the way. Um, drugs as being the way and he addressed each one like you're pouring whiskey in a paper cup you know you need to put the bottle up and like uh, he even said about rock and roll rock and roll will set you free honey he'll be deaf before you're 33 and uh, then sometimes he'd joke and say like me because <laughs> he must have listened to it loud or been in a concert but he listed each one he gave it to Janice as a personal thing, but Janice uh, saw a hit song in that, and she published it. She sang it, and she had a marvelous hit with it, and it got its targeted audience because Larry was going for the unsaved, not the church crowd, and the unsaved could relate. They were into all that, and they were looking. And can you imagine that? The massive fan base of Janis Joplin and those who really needed to know the Lord. And they hear this song. And it's hitting on everything that they're probably into. And then the chorus goes, why don't you look into Jesus? He has the answer. Because they were looking for the answer. That could only have been orchestrated by God. I think the anointing was upon him. I think God used him. Um, I think God saw he had the stick to to continue to evangelize um, in the way that he did because uh, I believe he won a lot in the world to the Lord. And this is a long time overdue. 
Uh, I mean, a video like this should have been done. Um, I don't know. There should have been several of them done uh, sooner. You know, we don't make money. I don't make money from what I do. I'm not some big, big thing where I have money and the studio and things like that. Um, there are others who could have had better technical uh, equipment and uh, put it together sharper with the latest advanced technology. But we did the best that we could, and the other people with all those advancements, well, they just didn't do it. So we are. And these are people who knew him best, who lived with him. Um, I think Larry needed uh, someone. Charles, his brother, sent him. Brander, he is an indigenous native. In his culture, things are sacred. Things are holy. You take time. You're sensitive to other people's needs. And when Larry wasn't feeling well, uh, Brander came and stayed for him with him for a while. I think he's really sensitive to his needs and helped him. Um, I know his lead guitar player, Ken, uh, told me that, man, I stayed there a few months, you know, when we were doing uh, gigs and stuff. He said he took his medicine every day. He he controlled the bad stuff he had. He took his heart medicine, and he took a pill for bipolar because he was diagnosed with that. But he said you he rarely had a bad day. He said maybe one day a year of doing gigs every day was he a little off, and we could tell he was disturbed, but he didn't do anything to us. He was always good. He was always generous. He was always helping and buying us things and giving us advice and smiling. Uh, and he said he was very much what they call controlled, uh, bipolar, where it doesn't, you know, hardly show. But if he had one day, you know, um, but he took his medicine regularly. In spite of it all, he put himself out there for Jesus. That's got to be. I, I don't know. What can I say? I, I have my lost words. That's got to be recognized. I know it will one day in heaven because I see so many who have so much and they're not out there for Jesus. And so... Um, when I see people like that, taking the blows, whatever, but they're going to be out there for Jesus, well, good for you. And like some of you may wonder, well, why aren't you live in your video? Well, I have some health issues right now. I haven't always had them, but I have chronic pain. I have diabetic neuropathy. I have a couple other little ailments that after I get all ready for a video, I'm kind of exhausted. Um, hard to to hold up for and um, sometimes I have a swelling and be around my eye area it will swell up real bad and I can't be really seen on film at that time because it really takes away from the project so I've just preferred to do an audio with some pics and maybe I'll put an oh uh, maybe I'll put a video in on a day where you know I'm feeling better and not small. I mean, I'm okay. I look fine. By God's grace, I don't have any wrinkles, and I still have the same face. It's just 
illness people. And so I want to speak, this is from my heart to yours, to those who have illness. Don't let it rob your harvest. God will work with you and he'll meet you where you're at. If all you can do is just smile, he'll take that smile for Jesus and he'll put it around the world. I mean, seriously, have faith. Um, we are in the top 3% according to Who's Who and their uh, computer algorithms. Uh, top 3% in the conservative online community in the world. And when I was being interviewed, I was given a badge. And when I was being interviewed, I mentioned to Lenny, well, we've done this on no money. And she stuttered and she says, but that's impossible. She said, you, you couldn't have reached our level of algorithms I know money, and their algorithms are done through interactions behind the scenes, not necessarily quantity of people. And, of course, if you're conservative or Christian, they block your view counts. Uh, like on YouTube, I saw 15,000 views drain overnight on one video uh, on an interview we did. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> seriously. Um, and I told her, I said, all I can say is that the things that are impossible with men are indeed possible with God. And uh, at the end of our conversation, interview, she told me that she was rededicating her life to Jesus Christ because she misses that kind of power in her life. And the Bible does say, to as many as received him, to them gave him the power to become the sons of God. Meaning on your own, you may not be able to conquer a lot of things but with his strength that he gives you you can so the biggest thing that larry wants you to do is to connect with jesus he wants to see you in heaven and if you've not received the lord jesus christ as your savior yet because the bible says he is the only way to heaven then i invite you to follow me in this prayer just say father god please forgive me of all of my sins I do want you in my heart. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe that you are who you say you are. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, good for you. Your name is now written down in the book of life. And angels are rejoicing. I'd like to say that you could find a good church real easy. To build you up but there's a lot of fake ones out there that'll tear you down just being honest you'd have to really search but you can encourage yourself in the Bible and you can read scripture and you can try and find things online as well to encourage yourself and you can write us uh, if there's people on here you'd like to talk to that you saw in there I can connect you you know you could just uh, we're leaving our address you know in the description. And I'm going to end this like I end most of my broadcast. Until next time, I'm Leah reminding you that God loves you. <laughs>